we are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 60 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am Luke. I am here with Andy Padel. Oh, hi. Joel Simon. What's up? And Ann Bean. Hello. Uh, this week, we are doing our long read of 100 Bullets. We decided, uh, I'm sure you've heard over the last few episodes, that every 10th episode, we're going to do a long read of a book that is self-contained in some way. So we're going to do things like Why the Last Man and Bone and Preacher and those kinds of books that are complete. Uh, and this one, we are doing 100 Bullets. We will get to that in a little bit, but um, first we're going to talk about some industry news and shit that we're reading. Uh, the industry, the piece of industry news that I wanted to bring up was I found out, uh, I think it was two days ago on Facebook, um, Johnny Christmas and Ed Brisson announced that Sheltered is being uh, developed for a movie. Ooh, Fucking so awesome. Yes. Yes. That book is so good. Like, that is... Um, I... Th- Hmm. It's hard for me to say that it's my favorite of Ed Brisson's because Comeback is still really high on the on the favorites list for Ed Brisson's stuff. I, I, I really like the murder book stuff, and I yeah. know it's just concept stuff and short stories. But hey, hey whatever that doesn't make it any less valid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, congrats to uh, friends of the show, Ed Brisson and Johnny Christmas. Uh, that's awesome that, that that's getting developed into a movie. Um, there was something else that I was going to bring up, and I totally fucking lost it year uh, of the horse dark horse losing star wars yep it is official disney is repossessing in 2015 disney will be repossessing all of the star wars titles uh so the the, the land of star wars dark horse is a dwindling one oh. it's funny because that's like i remember talking about that when th- immediately when disney bought marvel thinking that that was going to happen way back then. I mean, yeah. I guess they just had a contract to fulfill, and then once it ran, ran out, they were yeah. going to not renew it. I'm glad they're at least like doing a smooth transition as opposed to some sort of even more obvious corporate. I, I'm yeah. just happy that stuff like zombie stormtroopers won't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, you think that uh, Disney Marvel will do it better? No, there was a... Are you talking about the EU thing that came up? Like No, there's a Dark Horse run about... Uh, it's called Death Troopers. There's a novel that has that. Yeah, it's based it, on the comic. From, yeah, it's uh, no. <laughs> like <laughs> I understand everything. Ex- Empire, ex- everything. Expanded, expanded universe. Okay, I get that. Like you know what? I want more than just the three films that happened. Yes. I don't need zombies. What's really funny about that whole thing? So that's that's something that I thought was interesting over the last week was um, they kind of came out and announced that. They're going to like redo the Star Wars canon, right? That Disney is going to go into the to all of the stuff, and they're going to the way that they put it is they're going to eliminate the expanded universe. Um, but I don't think that that's like people are interpreting that as 
none of the none of the EU stuff is going to technically exist in the canon mm-hmm. anymore. I don't think that's what it is because the way that it, the way that I interpreted it and the way that I um, the way that they kind of put it out was I get the feeling they're going to take a lot of it and make it canon, which thereby ex- huh. gets rid of the quote unquote EU part of like the whole definition of the Star Wars universe because that's one of the aggravating things about the Star Wars universe is trying to figure out like Lucasfilm actually had like lists of what was canon and what wasn't and what was considered EU and that's why they're like um, you know who knows what the fucking movies are going to be based on because they can completely they supposedly uh, Luke and or Han and Leia's children are going to be in the movies, but who knows whether it's actually based on what has happened in the EU or not. So it's like, um, I, I get the feeling they're not eliminating the EU. They're making it canon, which I think is kind of cool because there's a lot of good stuff in the EU. There's a lot of trash as well, but, um, I worry a little bit about sort of the EU being corrupted in the way that certain changes were made to the original films eventually, and then we hated the ending of episode six real bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they, I don't know if they're going to go bother to go back and like do that kind of stuff, but who knows? I'm just, I'm, I'm really interested to see where episode seven goes, even though I don't like the direction that it took. I don't know if you guys heard that, um, there, um, Oh, I don't remember the original screenwriter's name. My only question is, uh, is Mark Hamill reprising his role of Cockknocker? Are they going to put bong sabers into the Star that's, Wars universe? That's all that matters to me. Um, <laughs> so, the, I don't remember the name of the original screenwriter, the, but they had they had originally gotten like this badass uh, Oscar Abrams? winning no 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 it was the, before J.J. Abrams took over the screenwriter that had written episode 7 was like this oh the guy from Toy Story badass yeah like oh. um, a oh. Oscar winning screenwriter Michael Arndt sounds right something like that and um, then they axed him he had this really cool story that was based entirely around the children right it was like their it was their coming up into becoming Jedi, which was which is fantastic. That's what I would love to see. And then when J.J. Abrams came on, uh, this original screenwriter got dumped, and they brought on um, Lawrence, Lawrence Kasdan. Is that his name, the guy that did Empire Strikes Back? Lawrence is right. I can't remember if Kasdan. I think it's, yeah, the screenwriter for Empire Strikes Back, which is fine, except that J.J. Abrams now said that, the new, that, that episode seven is going to focus on the original cast no. and i'm like no i don't know no they're all like they're they're all in their 60s and well and jb abrams is fucking Harrison yeah. Ford is 70 years old yeah the, the thing is i'm thinking of like the con reboot right mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, i i i don't know if jj abrams can do like end of the road stories worth a damn i feel yeah, like he would try to make it a coming of age story with 70 year olds and it would be awkward well, that's the thing, because they, they said that they're relegating the chil- the children are going to be the focus of episodes eight and nine, and that they're relegating them to side characters in episode seven. And I feel like that's backward. I feel mm-hmm. like episode seven, you you just wait, start wait, wait. off with Did, the kids, and you make the old people the fucking side mentors. characters. Didn't, didn't they try that with episodes one, two, and three? A little <laughs> dude named Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, but that was George Lucas with nobody to tell him no. Yep. So. At least, at least George Lucas in the original trilogy. Here's the thing: you, the original trilogy 
stands high on a pedestal in everyone's hearts because of the fact that George Lucas's ideas are fantastic. And at that point in time, he was young enough that people were like, no, you can't do that. Come on. Let's let's come on, Lucas. We're going to sit down. We're going to edit and it'll be fine. Um and then special editions came out, and he went, <laughs> fuck all those people who told me no. And it made editions that just, like, Ruined make everything. zero sense, and, like, the shooting first and didn't all that. Blah, 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 in, one blah. Of the, in one of the editions, didn't they take all the lightsabers out and replace them with walkie-talkies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ewoks Imagine. were all replaced by these little short, long-necked aliens with giant eyes. Oh, God. I'm just imagining Darth Vader speaking into a walkie-talkie, though, because I feel like that would be exciting. <laughs> Luke, <laughs> I am your father. Over. <laughs> he just has a normal voice. He turns his head. He's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> when he's <laughs> walkie-talkie yeah. up to his face. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not excited for the future of the Star Wars universe because they're, it's not, they're like... I don't know. I'm fucking terrified. I love Star Wars. I grew up with Star Wars. I think it's fantastic. Um, basically, the first three movies raped my childhood a little bit, and then a lot more. You mean episodes one through three? The, not or yes, the the second what, trilogy, epi- episode one, two, and prequels, three. The prequels yes. did horrible things to my childhood, where I had to show a doctor, you know, on a doll, where <laughs> episode two touched it. <laughs> Yeah, and the the next three, I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't see it fixing anything or necessarily getting better, but I think it might be less horrible. Uh, it might, yeah. I mean, because Lucas is basically out of the mix, and that is really what um, the problem is. Like, yeah. the The thing that I'm hoping, I'm really, really hoping that Disney pulls their head out of their ass decides that they want money and releases the original like THX editions on Blu-ray. Um, like a remastered non-special edition versions of the movie. Do like they did with Blade Runner, right? Like Blade Runner has the Blade Runner definitive edition has five different versions of the movie on yeah. each one on longer than the last. Yeah. But <laughs> but give us give us the original ones without you know, without shitting all over them like they did for the Blu-ray, the original Blu-ray release, where they put the original, the original, original, unchanged theatrical versions on the Blu-ray with mono sound or stereo, shitty stereo sound. They didn't even put the THX editions that you know they'd redone all the sound and uh, remastered the whole thing. Like they just kind of Lucas was just like, "Oh fuck it, give this placate," blah, and I don't know. I, I'm I grew up on those movies and I'm a huge fan. I've lost all faith in J.J. Abrams though because I think he's like bought into his own hype. Yeah, he yep. had he. I got into J.J. Abrams through Alias. Like the first two seasons of Alias were pretty fantastic. Uh, after that, the show was awful. That um, shit crazy. I did not. I did not like Lost at all. There was. I liked the first two seasons of Lost. <laughs> I liked the first season Seems of Lost. Yeah, I liked the first <laughs> season of Lost until they got to the end of the season and and there was there was no arc to the story at all. Are we talking it was about just... Brian K. Vaughn? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Sorry. No, Brian K. Vaughn um Brian K. Vaughn just has shitty endings. JJ Abrams doesn't fucking end things. Um, you and I obviously read different versions of Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. <laughs> well. There was technically an ending to Why the Last Man. There was a last page that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I don't know, like he's, 
I was I was fine with eighty percent of the Star Trek reboot, the first Star Trek reboot movie. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was fun, and then the second one was just it's a, it's just a bad movie. It is a bad movie, and so I've lost like the, when when he got attached to Star Wars, I was actually really disappointed because I don't want I don't want Star Wars to become what. What's the Star Trek reboots? Brand yeah. sci-fi, right? I don't need that much lens flare. Oh in my, my god, life. he's trying to kill science fiction. I get it now. He's <laughs> taken Star Trek already and murdered it, and now he's going to do it to Star Wars. And he's he's from the future. He's going to bring peace to uh, the nerddom. Oh no! <laughs> Maybe there's but like a dystopian it. future in which Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans, had there been none of the like sequels or reboots, were like killing each other constantly in a he's, sort of he's genocide. Preventing that, yeah, yeah. I really wish. I really wish that there would be another sci-fi franchise that would pop up that would that would be this generation's like type Star Wars or something, right? Like, Chronicles of Riddick is not that. <laughs> it it could have been so it good. Been. It could have been doing if, another Riddick movie. Yeah, a fourth the option of fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That doesn't really surprise me. That was the plan. The, I mean, yeah. the original plan was to have a trilogy, a trilogy of Chronicles of Riddick movies, and I would have loved that, but. He ended up having to take a different direction with the with the sequel to Chronicles because I guess nobody liked Chronicles even though it was fucking fantastic. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good sci-fi coming out this year though. Like I am really looking forward to Jupiter Ascending. That's the Wachowskis. uh, Hey, other people who can't finish things. (laughs) True, but I. I really liked... I liked the ending of the first Matrix movie. Thank you very much. Everyone the, liked the ending of the first Matrix movie. Because the, it was the first Matrix. Story. Yeah, the first Matrix movie was fantastic. I mean, it still it still holds up to you. There's, uh, I've gotten into arguments with people online about who think that the... who You know, revisionist historians that think the first Matrix movie is actually a terrible... Because the second two fiction. were terrible? <laughs> I, I don't know. And, and you're right. The second two were not good. They were... There are moments of brilliance in them. It's true. But as a... As a whole, they are not good at all. Um, and I really, even though I don't, I do not under, I really liked Cloud Atlas. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever, but it is a, it is a absolutely beautiful movie and it was really well done. Um, I haven't read the book yet. I want to read the book. Um, so, but Jupiter Ascending looks, it looks cool and it's got Mila Kunis in it and that's good enough for me. Is that Fair the, enough. Jupiter Ascending, is that the Netflix TV no, show no, 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 no. Jupiter Ascending is a movie, a uh, sci-fi movie where it's it's kind of the kind of the standard Wachowski, your chosen Channing, one, right? Yeah, Chan- Channing Tatum. Sure, uh, best role is in the. This Channing is the end. All, I'm gonna Channing all over you, Tatum. Uh, um, speaking of Channing Tatum, he they announced that he is going to be Gambit. In a you know that's that's cool Gambit because movie. in related he's news, from New yeah. Orleans, Gail Simone successfully. For like a whole morning, had the hashtag going. Hashtag Gambit is a McRib. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, <laughs> they both cause painful explosions. <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, no. Channing Tatum actually, in an interview, in one of his interviews for when he was doing the press tour for White House Down, yeah, um, went off on this whole tangent about how he Gambit's like his favorite character, and he's from New Orleans, and he would kill to play Gambit, and he don't I guess they, they, I guess they don't followed up on it, and that's fine yeah. because I, I, you know what, I like Channing Tatum. I like him as an action movie, like cheeseball action movie guy. Um, yeah. He's he's fun. He looks like he's too bulky. 
for Gambit. Yeah. yeah. Eh, who knows? I suppose he could thin down. He could pull a oh, machinist. That's the other. That's the other news. Yeah. There uh, it comes. Who'd have thought? That three casting announcements later, people would think that Ben Affleck as Batman was the best fucking choice in the history of comic books. Immediately after that, we had Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and everybody went, huh? Yeah. And then, and then... Gal Gadot is the skinny, the skinny woman from Fast, Fast Five through Five and Six, okay. the yeah. Israeli woman. And, and now they have announced... Um, they have announced... Uh, Oh, what's what's his name? That's playing Alfred. Wait, wait, wait. That's playing. That's playing Alfred. Um, oh no! Oh, Alfred is uh, Walter Cronkite. Jeremy no. Irons. Jeremy yeah. Irons is oh, playing nice. Alfred. I, I can deal. Ironside. I can deal with that. I mean, yeah. old British guy. That that's fine. Yeah. And Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. I would like to see the the dialogue that goes on. While is Lex that the Luther. guy from Breaking Bad? No. no. Jesse Eisenberg is the guy from The Social Network, and Now now You See Me. Zombie movie. Zombieland. He was from Zombieland. Zombieland. Double tap with Kryptonite. Yeah, the main guy from Zombieland. Oh, my Land. God. That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the, right. here's the thing. I Right? My initial idea, my initial thought is, of course, what the fuck? Yeah. However... I've gotten to the point where you can act. Like, yeah, I've gotten to the point Andy where Andy is out. <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I have to. I, I really just have to wait, right? Yep. Because, and and we we talk about this a million times. We talked about it when Ben Affleck was was cast. Uh, we talked about it when Gal Gadot was cast, and it's 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 the Heath Ledger effect. Yeah, like no one, including the people that were casting for the Dark Knight, thought that that Heath Ledger was going to be anything until they saw his screen test, right? His screen test was blew everybody away. It was absolutely phenomenal. I'm wonder, I have to wonder if, if this is the same kind of thing, if it's just, because it's one of two things, right? Either he had a phenomenal screen test where he convinced people or they're going with the, oh, uh, we just got to change things up and get, you know, make it different so we can get some press kind of thing. Who knows? Really, yeah. it's going to be another Batman return. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I'm going to love it. I just I don't know. Ben Affleck is going to have nipples. Yeah, and Jesse Eisenberg is going to quip. I don't know where they. <laughs> I don't know where they. Um, like what? The, I don't know what the purpose of this movie is going to be. If it's going to have, I mean, they're supposed to do. Supposedly, what's going to happen is they're going to do uh, Man of Steel two, which is going to have Batman and a cameo from Wonder Woman. And then they're going to do a Justice League movie. And then they're going to do a standalone Wonder Woman movie. And it's like... This is stupid. <laughs> this is just terrible. What the fuck are they thinking? I'm going to ramble for a minute here because my mind is a little <laughs> bit blown. And I'm kind of pissed off. Okay. Justice you don't even like DC, so I, how can you I be really don't. pissed off? <laughs> but here's the thing. Justice League should not be the intro to Wonder Woman. Oh, it's not. It, but I'm, I'm saying, like, Man of Steel 2 is the intro to Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They don't Aww. understand. Their, like, I don't like DC. I will be the first to admit that. But I understand that there are people who enjoy certain aspects of that world. When you go to the level of Justice League, that makes Wonder Woman completely fucking pointless. It just does. Yep. It makes Batman pointless, too. Well, Batman's his own thing. Gotham's Batman always has a been history of film. Wonder Woman's got Linda Carter. That's it. Yeah, it's true. Oh, I just the, the 
introducing characters in someone else's movie is fine for secondary characters. It's fine for somebody like Black Widow and Hawkeye and you know the 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 little the little guys are fine to be introduced as like cameos in other shit. You don't do that with your tentpole characters. Yeah. Like that's why Captain America had his own movie first. That's why Thor had his own movie first. That's why the Hulk and like fucking Iron Man they're, all had their own movies deal. because they're a big deal. You don't just slough off a character like Wonder Woman as a cameo appearance. It's not that's not how you handle your tentpole characters. I don't even like the idea that they're I don't even like the idea that they're rebooting their Batman by putting him in a Superman movie. <laughs> like if you want to reboot Batman with Affleck, do another fucking Batman movie. It's not like there isn't precedent already for a movie franchise getting rebooted within 10 years they did it with spider-man and it actually worked out pretty good mm. amazing spider-man was a decent movie actually I'm just, i like i'm just thinking of okay so follow me through on this right um so how many batman reboots have there been now I've oh lost jesus count. christ two two i guess because no, there was the it's the tim burton one with michael uh okay so here's the thing batman batman returns Batman, Batman and Forever. Forever and Batman and Robin are technically all in the same. Yeah, that's no. I'm saying that's, so that's that one is the same. series, right. and then the the only other reboot that there has been is the Christopher Nolan ones. Okay, so here's the. I don't think that the Christopher Nolan ones have gotten to the point where it needs a reboot. Mm-hmm. You could have a different actor play the role and just keep going with it because you don't need to see. <sighs> your, so you've had in the past what twenty four years at this point something you've had, like you've that. You've had two yeah. ba- two Batman. Origin stories. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are they going to say that's not in the first two movies? My hope is that they don't do an origin at all. So, so maybe that's the one benefit of introducing Batman into a Superman movie is that you don't have to fuck with his origin now. He's just there, like, and that's and that's kind of the same thing that they would do in a comic book, right? Is they the character just shows up and has a history, and you find out that history piecemeal over a long period of time. Um, but you don't have to worry about actually making an entire movie an origin story. Well, the origin story and sort of the like taking on the cowl is like one very specific superhero plot, and it doesn't yeah. have to be the only superhero plot. Right. I, I don't know. I just don't know what they're doing because I'm I'm not of the opinion of most people. I actually liked Man of Steel quite a bit. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the there's a lot of people that fucking hate it. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I, I still now having watched it a third time, Dark Knight Rises is a bad movie. Oh, you're out of your mind. It's a bad movie. You are out of your mind. It's poorly edited. It's poorly paced. It's poorly plotted. The characters are one dimensional. There's nothing reasonably decent about that movie. They lock the entire police force of Gotham City underground for four months and nobody thinks to fucking dig their asses out. There's also no beards. God, that movie's... (laughs) It it does have its own logic holes. However, I don't think it's a bad movie. No, it is Uh, a logic hole. That's... It's... it's, I've watched it three times and I have tried real hard. I've tried real hard to like it because I like... I like The Dark Knight. I think it has flaws. Like, I think The Dark Knight, especially the third act of The Dark Knight, has some pretty serious flaws. But I really enjoyed the movie. And after watching Dark Knight Rises again, I'm just like, this is, this is fucking terrible. You, you, you take Batman out of the loop for, for months of the movie in a, in a completely unnecessary side plot that you could have 
completely glossed over. If it had been like the cops go underground for a week, yeah, or something, and then you, you know, you Batman comes back and and they figure shit out. But the the it's one of the things that they were uh, they were, we were talking about this a few months ago. Where they did it in Avengers, where all of a sudden superheroes show up, and then and then mundane police officers are the dumbest fuckers on the planet. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, the cops, the things start happening, and the cops in New York are like, and then Captain America shows up and starts giving orders, and then the cops are like, "Let's oh, okay. follow him, do that." And it's such bullshit. The whole that whole plot line in Dark Knight Rises where they're like something's going on underground send the entire police force of the city fuck you <laughs> fuck you really come on hey there were two guys who weren't there yeah <laughs> I just... can I talk about the comics I was reading they're vaguely relevant yeah go ahead <laughs> sorry rant uh, over uh, the one that that is sort of relevant to a like what happens when superheroes mesh with like the police force and the paparazzi and like things that exist Did in the world. Did you read the pro? I read Furious. Oh, okay. Uh, which is Brian Jail Glass. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard about this. And it, it's looking to be pretty good. Um, it's interesting. The, the main character is this, has, has many faces. She seems to be, this is a bit spoilery for the first issue, but deal. Um, <laughs> she's, she seems to be both a superhero and a sort of her own supervillain in that she is like a public celebrity figure who like, you know, gets shitty headlines and in, in the rags. So she she's reinventing herself sort of as this sort of shitty superhero, honestly. Like she's marginally effective at the best of times. Just she's she's really trying to brand herself as uh, the beacon and everyone okay. is like, no, you're furious. So I, it's interesting. It, she she's doesn't got ride death. a wrecking ball, does she? No, okay. she does not ride a wrecking ball. Sorry, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of like, what does the public eye do to these stories and how you define yourself and mm. stuff? It's interesting. Yeah, is that the only thing you've been reading? Uh, I also read the Midas Flesh, the first two issues of that, um, which is a Boom Studios book. It's about. It's in the future, and there's a spaceship, and they've found a planet that's made of pure gold, and anything that touches it also turns into gold, and they're very, very, very carefully investigating it. And it turns out it is, it's sort of like alternate reality Earth if the Midas curse had been huh. like literal to the point of anything he's touching that's touching anything turns into gold, <laughs> turn the whole planet into gold, the atmosphere has turned into gold dust, like... It's kind of cool. And yeah. now people are, are coming to, to try to figure out what's the what. Um, it's written by Ryan North, who writes Dinosaur Comics. Um, and yes, there is one of the one of the three investigative astronauts is a dinosaur. Because Fair dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> but okay. so, so it has like kind of, it is sort of light and quippy in general, uh -huh. but um, it's fun. It's fun. And I think it's, it's going to be eight issues. I feel like it's going places. I plan to keep reading. That's cool. <laughs> what about you guys? You guys are because I I have literally not. I've been broke as broke uh, for the month of January and haven't bought comics in a couple of weeks. So I haven't read yeah. anything new. No, I I haven't read anything new either. But I did. There's some other news. Uh, they started the um, Serenity comic book. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That started. It was after. 
after Serenity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There were some prequel comic books that came out before the movie that kind of bridged the gap between the end of Firefly and the beginning of the movie as well. So yeah. um, it'll be interesting. to. I, I want to read those comics. I'll be, I'm kind of pissed off that they take place after Serenity because that means no wash, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then also in comic book movie news, um, the Turtles were released for Michael Bay's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Oh, and they showed them. They they showed them. Yeah, and and the character designs look pretty cool. But if you if you look look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the marketing push has started. So you have Donatello, Ma- <coughs> Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo. And one of the cool things, or one of the things, is in classic Michael Bay, you have Donatello, who's the smart one, right? He's got glasses, of look course, at his little goggles. and the goggle With, thing, and <laughs> goggles. But goggles. the glasses, the glasses also have tape on them. Oh, uh, right. Uh, and Michael then, Bay. yeah, and then uh, Michelangelo, of course, has a do rag and sunglasses. So, and before I saw this, Raphael I was like, does. Oh, it was a Raphael. God damn it. Michelangelo's um, got bling. Yeah. So, and that's the thing is, oh my God. when, I when I, Michelangelo dies when this, in the movie, when this started out, oh, no he's... shit, right? Um, I was like, I hope Michael Bay doesn't, it looks good, but I hope he doesn't fuck it up with mud. Flapping skits, <laughs> and then I see I see the do rag and the sunglasses. Like, God damn it, somebody's going to be all G unit. Yep, <sighs> that just I don't. And, and Megan I Fox. Fuck Megan uh, Fox. Really? Like actually Megan Fox, or just like the metaphor Me- of Megan, Megan Fox? Fox is April O'Neil. Oh, Fuck. that's such a terrible God idea. Yeah. Oh God, that's so bad. Right? Everything is ruined forever. Uh huh. Oh. oh yeah. I'm style. sorry. Like, you know what? As much nostalgia as I have for the for the TMNT movies from the from the 80s and the ni- early 90s, um, they're not good movies. <laughs> and the Turtles was never a franchise that should have been live action. No, nope. ever. It, it just have, it shouldn't have been PG live Corey action. Feldman, yeah. yeah, right. Like if you go if you go old school yeah. turtles, you man. Eastman and Laird, <laughs> Casey, Casey Jones murdering Baxter Stockman with a hockey stick. Yeah, I'm fucking with in. a yeah. sharpened hockey stick. Yes, well, and please. That, and that's one of the things too is because of all this, they went back and interviewed Eastman, and he said the reason why he came up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is it was a joke. He was trying to make Laird laugh, and so he made ninjas. He was using the Frank Miller ninja. A trope where you just put masks on everything and so it was like I'll put masks on turtles and he showed it to him they had a little laugh it was like hey this is kind of cool and they it mm-hmm. spawned from there so um, thank you Frank Miller less news more comics I've okay. actually been reading stuff Go. Dead Body Road yes good uh, stuff Tell me more. I haven't read the second issue yet uh, I haven't read the second one yet either uh, Justin Jordan and uh, Mateo Scalera um, Mateo Scalera is more talented than I like I really liked his stuff before I didn't realize he could do different styles of art mm-hmm. because the art is completely different than anything I've seen from him before yeah it's different than black science yeah. like it's, by a lot um, uh, Dead Body Road is a revenge pick where there is a guy whose wife was a prison guard or a, a guard in a bank or something I'm not really sure it's what a bank it, guard it was, I think yeah um, and she gets killed during a heist and he's going after the people who killed her ooh um, and it's super violent, super dark, and super fucking awesome. Yeah. Sounds right up your alley. So for, for people, I, I, most people who listen to this show are going to know this, but Mateo, Mateo Scalera is a guy that's drawing black science as well, which we've talked about. Justin Jordan is the writer of the Luther Strode books. Yep. And this is it is pretty fantastic to start off. Nice. Next up, Prison, prison Ship Antares, which hmm. is crime fiction. Um, or not crime fiction. It's a 
a prison planet, like Grindhouse. It's uh, Dark Horse is doing Grindhouse comics, <laughs> and it's a spaceship filled with women prisoners. It's a two issue set from the Grindhouse series. It's fucking hilarious. It's definitely a seventies movie. <laughs> um, other than that, we have Juice Squeezers. Juice Squeezers <laughs> is the new book by Dave Laffham of Hundred okay. Bullets fame. Um, it's scrawny kids versus giant Not bugs. Bullets. I'm sorry. Stray Bullets. Stray Bullets, thank you. Oh, yeah, Stray Bullets is also getting re-released, and the final issue is coming out. Um, they're going to do an omnibus-style book that's going to be very similar to the Walking Dead 48-issue anthology yeah. that has everything. But then they're also Well, doing, then they're doing more comics after that, right? They're going to do the yeah. final issue of Stray Bullets, right. and then they're going to start a new Stray Bullets run. Stray Bullets is like the crime comic that got me into crime comics like 15 or years ago. That's what a lot of people say. I haven't read it, but now that this omnibus thing is coming out, I'm definitely going to buy it because I've heard it's a one run thing. So pre-order it. it. Okay. Um, but it's, it's really good. It's where Amy race car comes from. Um, there's an amazing story where she murders a bunch of clowns. I don't know. <laughs> like you do. Liter- literal clowns, assassin clowns. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Fucking rant it. Rant it. Go. Okay. okay. I may as well start start this out. And to start this out, um, I need to give you a visual and then also give you an explanation. And the visual I will actually post on Twitter because I realize that comes across poorly in the podcast format. Um, Please tell me it's when the French chick gets shot. So, uh, as I was reading these, I was I was like I was getting a really gross gut feeling. Like I felt angry and I felt sick and I couldn't figure out why. Because I'm like. It can't just be because they're kind of brutal books. Because, like, we read Last Days of American Crime, and we've read a ton of noir stuff. Sure. And, like, why, why is this bothering me in particular? I don't get it. And I was really trying to figure it out, like, specifically what was bothering me. So, I, at first, I started going through and putting these little... Um, tabs. Yellow tabs. So many tabs. Yellow tabs whenever there was, like, physical violence against a woman. Because there was something about the women that was bothering me, but I couldn't pin it down. And I was like, eh. I mean, there's a ton more violence against men. This is not it. This is not what's bothering me necessarily. So then I started putting in these little um, orange-ish tabs that were whenever there was sexual violence against a woman. And there's a lot of those, especially in the fourth one, which is the point where I had to like put the whole series down and walk away because otherwise I was going to like punch someone and then throw up on them. Um, <laughs> So, Enjoy my hate vomit. Exactly. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, this is a this is a factor. It's a facet, and obviously there's a lot more sexual violence against women than there is sexual violence against men. Although there's a decent amount of sexualized violence against men, and a lot of homophobia and transphobia that's kind of just like subtly sprinkled in the background. But the th- I was like, still, this isn't quite it either. Like that's a factor. But I've read other books that have a lot of rape in them that don't bother me the way this one bothers me. Why? So then I went through and with yet another color and it started out as this like orange stripey paper. But then I, I ran out and I had to go to pink. Uh, and, and just to let you guys know, these books are tabbed the fuck up. I, I put whenever there was a sort of overly sexualized woman, whether that was a main character. And yes, I did a new one for each of Megan's outfits. <laughs> I didn't do every page that had an oversexualized woman on it because otherwise it would have wrecked the spine on Luke's books. Did you color coordinate the outfits <laughs> to the tabs? No, no, it's all the same. It was, it was like a three by five index card that I tore up into tiny little bits and then I ran out of that, so I, I went to pink. Uh, 
And what I realized was because all of the women in this series are constantly over-sexualized, like there's like half a dozen mm. that aren't and they're mostly old and or really ugly. Um, and because... You're like out of breath. You're like... You're just, you're like, like <laughs> yes. On, take a deep breath. Stop hyperventilating. No. <laughs> because... Just walk her through it. All of the, all of the women are so hypersexualized. Any act of physical violence felt sexual. So even though it wasn't constantly rapey, it felt constantly rapey. I can kind of see that. I, I, mm. As I, it, for, for pretty much any character except Diz. Diz, yeah. Diz occasionally, like they kind of sexualize her, but she's more... She's relatively sexual. You want me to pull up a few of her outfits? No, no, no. I've, I, I, I get that part. Like, and she has... I actually really enjoyed her as a character and she has agency. Yes. And I, but except, yeah. it, but compare her to... Okay, so I'm gonna. She's I'm not gonna a preface. femme fatale. Like Megan is a femme fatale. She's not. She's actually like an action hero. Megan is the blonde chick, right? The the. Yes. Okay. I sorry. The, I. It's okay. I'm gonna tell you. I do not remember character names in this, with the exception of of Graves, Lono, Loop, and Diz are the characters that I remember. The rest of the characters, uh, like I. Character names just. I totally understand. Like I have to pull up a wiki. There are sh- because. There are so many characters in this book. So yeah. now, now that that rant's over, I'm gonna, I'll go through the intro, which I should have gone through before, which is <laughs> uh, we are reading 100 Bullets. Uh, we did the entire run of the comic book, which is 100 issues, uh, released uh, ages ago, and I don't... I, fuck, I'm so ill-prepared for this. Um, it's uh, It was done by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso, the same com- uh, same team that did Spaceman, which we had just reviewed a f- couple episodes ago. Uh, and it was pretty much it was pretty much the as the um, the book that put Azarello and Riso on the map. Like the, it's a long running crime comic, and the or, the original premise of the from the beginning of the first book was uh, this guy named Agent Graves shows up in someone's life and gives them an attaché case that contains uh, a gun, a hundred bullets, and irrefutable proof of the person responsible for destroying someone's life. I'm not sure and, if it's irrefutable per se. Uh, okay. a, a picture and a suggestion. Enough <laughs> enough evidence to make so he hands it to a person whose life has been destroyed and gives them evidence of who who is directly responsible for that for their problems. It's not necessarily always true, but the um, the point being that the hundred bullets and the gun that come in the case are completely uh, untraceable, and once once evidence of the bullets from this gun have been found, all investigation into the crime stops. Just ends. Carte blanche. Um, so they have carte blanche to do whatever they want with these hundred bullets, and um, it's yeah. Don't set your phone on the mic cords. <laughs> uh, so uh, the 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 first couple of trades. So it's the, I read it in the hardcover. There's five hardcover trades, and the first couple of trades. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of showing up in someone's life, giving them an attaché, and seeing what happens. Um, and then you start to get backstory on who Graves is and why he's doing this, and the story morphs into this um, like high-level organized crime story about a group called the Minutemen, who are enforcers for what the, the trust. trust, the trust, enforcers for the trust. 
Um, so the trust consists of seven crime families. Is it seven or is it 13? 13. 13 crime families. Thank you. Jesus Christ. 13 families that originally started out in Europe and then who moved to America. Who moved Trust to America. names like Medici. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about, and it becomes all about the, the power struggle within the trust. Um, originally, the Minutemen were created as a failsafe so that they would not only enforce uh, things for the trust, but they would enforce within the trust. If the if like one of the members of the trust did something against another member of the trust, the Minutemen would. That's what they morphed into. Their original purpose was um, England w- decided to uh, disavow their agreement with the trust. So mm-hmm. let's go back for a second. The trust was originally the thirteen most, most powerful families in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, they made a deal with all of the old world to give up all of their holdings and whatnot, and then they would move to the new world as long as they had free reign in the new world. England decided that they were going to start up a colony in uh, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. a little town called Crotoa. Or Cro- no, it's the Roanoke, Roanoke. Colony. Roanoke, 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 Roanoke Colony. And the trust at that time decided to teach them a lesson, and they created the Minutemen. After they found out how effective it was to have these killers, they decided to use them to enforce their own policies, mm-hmm. which would be in case any member of the trust moved against any other member of the trust, they would have to deal with the Minutemen. Well, then it goes to uh, New Jersey right before the book starts or four years before the book starts roughly where they decide to um, get rid of the Minutemen. They decide there's some event where the Minutemen kill one of the members of the trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, they're deactivated and they're for their own protection put into normal lives to protect them from the trust. Yeah. Then that leads into the first book, at which point they start being reactivated by Graves because Graves and has... And when we say brain. deactivated, it's literal like like a, like a brainwashed new mental deactivation, new personality with a with a with a trigger word that will bring back the skills that they they know from being trained hitmen. Yeah. With the exception of Loop's dad. Right. Um so that's one of the things that I, I I'm going to start off on my negative kick because I know that there's a lot of positive about this book that I want to talk about later. But um, the biggest, the biggest thing for me that that the biggest unresolved thing for me, and maybe since you guys have read it, you can you know you know I've only read through it once, and I maybe you can help me understand something. But I understand that Graves was at one point the leader of the Minutemen. He was the warlord, and. When the book starts, he is no longer the leader of the Minutemen because the Minutemen have been deactivated. So he's got his own thing going. Graves, as a uh, through his connections from being part of the Minutemen, is has um, high level connections in law enforcement and and justice in the justice system, which is why he's able to do the attaché thing. So right. he you know he has these marked bullets, and he, through his contacts, whenever these things show up, the justice system just ignores whatever happened. Um, there's one character that tests it out by going into a public park and shooting a dog. Yeah. And then is out back on the street 48 hours later later going, oh, okay, it works. Yeah. Um, so the first several books are him going around giving att- attaches to people. And eventually you find out that um, everyone he's giving an attache to is somehow related to the Minuteman. They either were a Minuteman or he is planning on training them to become a new Minuteman. In the case of Loop and Diz. Yeah. And, but my problem is that it's fairly early. Like if you consider the whole run, a hundred issue run, it's fairly early in the run where the, the actual hundred bullets 
premise is abandoned. Um, and they kind of bring it back later, like once or twice in, in minor storylines. But once you start learning of the history, they just completely abandon the, the I guess you call it a gimmick, the, the hook of the 100 Bullets storyline, and then don't really explain what Graves' endgame was. And that's one of my biggest problems because about, I'd say, four-fifths of the way into the book, once everything has, is, is running full steam, they take out Graves' contacts and basically take his ability to use the, the attaches away. But by that point, he hasn't done it in so long, and you don't, you don't really know much about what's going... Like, you, don't know, you never really find out what, how what he was doing ties into all of the shit that is going on in the background. With a few characters you do. Like, there's a few characters that giving him the attache is part of um, trying to... F- I guess, like, there, there's the one guy that he gives the attache and then tells him to kill himself because he's responsible for his own... Uh, his own problems, and I guess that's I guess part of Ga- Graves' endgame with that guy was to um, to find out if he was still worthy of being a Minuteman when he gets reactivated or some shit. But but there's no like there's no cohesive endgame to Graves' game, and they make such a big deal about letting Graves play his game, and I just I never felt that that was resolved. And it's like the name of the fucking book. Okay. So um, the Hundred Bullets and the Briefcase are a representation of the trust and its power and its infinite power. Um, when the point when the trust really is sort of... Or let, me, let me rephrase that. The point when the Hundred Bullets comes, becomes irrelevant is the point when you realize how much power the trust has in the story. And I believe that's when um, Diz and a couple other people are down in Mexico when they're actually outside of North America. Mm-hmm. And that's when it leads into the discussion. Mexico is in North America. Sorry. (laughs) They're somewhere south. They're in South America. Are they in Mexico? No, I think they actually are in Mexico. Mexico. Okay, I thought they were somewhere that would technically be South America. But um, so the trust has, according to the original words of the contract, they have North America. Uh, The event that Graves stopped was the trust from expanding their borders into South America or Mexico, as the case may be. I don't know the exact geography because it doesn't explain it sure but when they're in mexico they're outside of the influence of the trust sure flat out which is why they're just hanging out in a, a van a shack yeah a shack yeah, yeah. Like, whatever the trust can't do anything to us here um at that point you go into graves's end game is he wants i think to take down the trust because they've become corrupt due to infighting and all of them have betrayed the trust at that point Mm-hmm. And his primary responsibility is to keep the trust from betraying itself. And since all of them have, he's going to take the trust out. Right. Um, so I think that the hundred bullets becomes sort of irrelevant at that point because there is no trust power anymore. So the hundred bullets don't matter anymore. That's that's fine. Maybe it's just that I don't like the fact that that's the way they took the story. Because I would have I. I would have at least liked them to have a cohesive wrap-up of what Graves' game with the 100 Bullets was while he was still using them. And I don't feel like they did that. I feel like on an individual basis, you got... like What was interesting about the book in the beginning of the book was the... um, I thought the hook was watching the moral dilemma of the people who were given the attaché, right? It was like... It was awesome to see especially the first, I would say, five storylines over the course of the first two hardcover trades, you get very different interpretations of 
how someone is going to use the attache, whether they're going to use the attache, why they're going to use the attache. Because, like, you know, you get some people who are just going to, who just take it, fire a shot, kill somebody, done. And then you get some people who, who are, who decide, like, to use the attache to find out um, whether or not the information in it is real, right? They can, they use the gun in a way that um, lets, lets them get closer to, people who have been responsible for things in their life and it's it's it was an interesting conceit for the storyline that agree. that I feel like should have played more directly into the whole um the the wrap up of the storyline it sh- and and it just didn't and and I'm not saying that that makes it a bad story I'm saying that it just seems odd that you start the book with this conceit and I feel like they kind of just abandoned it at one point i don't feel like it it went all metaphor midway through it just sort of fizzled yeah it just kind of fizzled out and they changed the storyline and it just went on to something else um so i don't know and i mean i will i'm I'm gonna say this outright as we talk about this that i finished the i read the whole series in over the course of four days oh my god and it's so much to take in um and maybe that's a problem you know maybe i didn't have the time to internalize the storyline because i'm confused okay i'm flat out fucking confused by this book i um i do not there are entire side storylines that i don't understand why they're there there's entire character arcs that make no sense to me how about we talk about the overarching plot or my interpretation of it and then we'll go into individual side stories Okay, sure. so Graves and the Minutemen um, are trying... Well, Graves is manipulating the Minutemen to mm-hmm. take out the trust. Um, each of the Minutemen was deactivated, and the overarching thing, in my opinion, um, for Vic, Loop, and Vic's brother, whose name I can't remember right now. Is he the guy that gets his hands fucked up? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, for those three, and Dizzy as well, or Diz, um, is... for Well, actually, specifically Loop and Diz... Um, We'll start out with them. They both are trying to fill a role that hasn't been... They're trying to prove themselves. And when they get to the point of, okay, I'm in. I've proven myself. Um, Dizzy is like, this is what I want to do. And Pause for just one second, because on that subject, I want to ask. Diz is the only character in the book that does not have a prior connection to the Minutemen, correct? Correct. She is just Graves' project. Yes. Um, Because, like, Loop's father was a Minuteman. No, he was never a Minuteman because they wouldn't let a black guy in. Really? Yeah. Okay, but he had connections to the Minutemen. He worked with them, and he was, like, an unofficial Minuteman. Okay. Because of the sort of old world thoughts of the trust they would not let african-americans in okay even though he had the skills the talent and everything he was never officially one okay but diz is diz was just graves diz was, thing diz was like okay. we need another person um if you look at both of them and their are the overarching character development um when they both get to the point where they've proven themselves um you've got diz who sticks with it gets her back broken and it's, she's going to die in the fire at the end of the book Yep. But she's also going to shoot Graves in the head. Right. Um, but then you've got Loop, who says that, you know, I just killed a whole cadre of motherfuckers, and the weirdest thing about it is I don't know why, and I don't really care. I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. I think... It's not what he wants. Maybe a little bit of the rage vomit also came from the fact that everyone's character arc is just like, your life is going to go to shit. I, I, yeah. I don't think so at all. I mean... 
Some of them have like, Loop is the only, uh, to me, the only really arguable one because he he does drop it. And he's like, nope. He drops it. He's like, I'm out. And then um, Vic and his brother are like, your dad to be proud of you. And then those three guys all sort of realize that there's, you know, other parts to life and they leave. So then you look at um, Jackdaw and Mm -hmm. the bouncer. Mm -hmm. Um, They're stuck in that that path. I'm fucking glad you remember characters in this book, dude. (laughs) Uh, And they get eaten by alligators. There's a lot of them. Yep. Yeah. there's another story, uh, Lono. Jackdaw is the the drug guy, addict, right? Yeah, he's the, guy the that, yeah. big guy that is on that, I, that I was talking time. about. In, that in got Sam- the gun to kill him, and yeah. Graves told him to kill himself. Yeah, uh, okay, in yeah, yeah. Seven Samurai, he uh, he you know, tried to figure out the nature of the the tiger that's been in the cage for so long. Yeah, right. Which is really you know it, when the tiger it's attacks him, it's a metaphor for you know him still being an animal, yeah. and he dies. Um, Lono. Lono is a fucking monster, mm-hmm. flat out. <laughs> Every time he opened his mouth, I had to put in one of those orange sexual violence tabs. <laughs> um, Lono's, Lono's arc actually doesn't have to do so much with him as the girl that he rapes earlier on. Yeah. Um, who locks him in the room, um, the sauna, uh, so he's going to die. I was so disappointed that she didn't kill him. I and see the point of it, but goddammit. She realizes that she's better than him, so she leaves. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Lono's arc. Um Spanish guy whose name I can't remember right now. Cole? No. Cole. Cole. Uh, Cole, um, he's always getting away with stuff, and when it really matters, because he's used to it, he fails and gets blown up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the sort of very classic noir theme of, like, p- uh, powerful characters thinking that not powerful characters are insignificant, and by ignoring them or treating them like furniture, end up getting fucked with yep. by them. Like you know, Lono and women and Cole and everyone else. Yeah. Um, okay, so you got Shepard and Graves. Um, they're just both soldiers. Uh, Graves, <laughs> apparently the panel after the book ends gets his brains blown out because he... Graves? Graves? Oh, I thought you said Shepard. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I yeah, said yeah. Shepard and Graves. Uh, Shepard dies earlier than that, right? Shepard's the one Much that gets earlier. killed by Diz when Diz gets, uh, randomly, gets activated. randomly activated. Yeah, okay. I don't understand how that worked if she wasn't a previous, um, like, she hadn't I think, been programmed. I think that they'd, they'd programmed her earlier. Yeah, Graves like, programmed her earlier okay. before she had gone to prison and whatnot. I, I got the impression that Graves, I got the impression that Diz was a side project of Graves that no one knew about until after she got pulled into the whole thing, right? That she was like, she she wasn't like amongst the Minutemen. Um, and then when she gets activated, it, like she gets pulled in by Graves and she's, she's bumming around with Shepard and they know that the all that anyone thinks is that she got pulled in because she got given an attache, right? And then uh-huh. she, and then through her relationship with Graves and the attache, ends up getting rec- rec- quote unquote recruited by Graves, but nobody knows that he's actually brainwashed her. And then when she gets randomly activated, is where everybody goes, "Holy shit! Graves has been doing more than we thought he was." Right? That's kind of yeah. what I got out of it, out okay. of her storyline. Um, oh fuck! Who gets thrown off a building? Which one? There's the uh, there's the one dude that throws himself off. Yeah, the, the guy who jumps off the building. That was the brother, the, the brother the with the hands. He okay. jumps off the building and lands on his own brother, but his own brother survives. Did they show that later? I don't remember. Yeah, sure. I think like one, like one of the, the issues that I have to so a certain extent. Well, I mean, yeah. there's just so many characters, yeah. so many. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but which I think is kind of a problem, and I 
it, it's an epic, but it the felt issues like reading a Russian novel, except more not incoherent. <laughs> no, uh, I guess the overarching thing is that people pay for the, the, there are consequences to their actions, mm. and there are very few people who realize that until you know it's most people realize it when it's too late. Uh, Loop realizes it before that point. Him and um, the other two guys who leave mm-hmm. the final battle, like towards the end, are like, "No, no, 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 no. We're we're fucking out. We're we're done." And that's sort of their redemption, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the people, who, such as it is, term. I was gonna say, redemption oh. might be a little strong. <laughs> uh, they, they're they're going to be changed people at the end of this event. Um, but you have people who are, you know, they're stuck and they're not going to change their ways, and they all die. Every single last one of them, with the exception of Lono. Yeah, that's the one who, guy. Who now gets that's his own the comic one, book. I know! That's the one motherfucker <laughs> that I wanted to see die throughout the entire thing. Seriously. He's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, I know, exactly. Where everybody else finds their, their comeuppance one way or another. Either they, they're redeemed or they're, they're taken out. And Lono, who's the, was the most irredeemable survives through the whole fucking thing and he gets away. You want to know who Lono reminds me of he, he, both in character Wolverine. and no 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 and in his his arc from beginning to end being a bastard the whole time and then basically just getting to walk away from the whole thing at the end is the bad guy from Sugar. No Country for Old Men. Yeah. The Sugar. because oh, yeah. it's the exact same storyline. It's yeah. like he just at the end of the storyline he does his you know he he goes through all this shit, he kills a bunch of people and then he's just like Okay, bye. And it gets in a car and drives away. <laughs> and it's like... It walks it's away. a good metaphor for the whole walks book. Away, yeah. It's yeah, like this is a world where like good, there is no justice yeah, or good goodness. Yeah, good doesn't win. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's, it's, it's pulpy. It's, yeah. it's, it's noir. Well, yeah. and that's, yeah. that's the thing about it is there are no good characters in the book, no. in my opinion. Like, Loop comes Loop the closest. Loop and Dizzy uh, were the ones that I actually Diz liked. Diz is the most honorable. Loop is the good guy. Yeah, I could... So, Diz... Diz has a code that she is willing to stick through. No matter Diz what. and Loop are the most likable characters in the book. Indeed, I wouldn't call them good guys. I wouldn't call either. I would call Loop. Loop is the closest one at the end to who to hero. Loop is the closest one to to having a redemption at the end because he is the he is the only one who actively purposely walks away. The Vic, other two, Vic. no, no, no. The other two follow him. They're like, yeah, you know, you're right. And they're like, let's go. <clears throat> Loop is the one that makes the decision. He's the guy that's like, you know what? I don't even yeah. know why the fuck I'm doing this. We've also seen him because for longer. It, yeah. So like, he has an arc, and that's the end of the arc, as opposed to Vic and what's his face that were just kind of there. Uh, so but, uh, tangent on Vic, real quick. If you remember to before Vic got reactivated, Vic is actually a good guy. He has a skill set that's very, very particular, yeah. but he's a good guy. What, uh, he, he got lost in my brain. What does he do again? Before? He takes care of his mom. He has a regular right, job. Right, his right. brother is the one who's, you know, cutting deals with um, and when he gets the meat re- market. And yeah. when he gets reactivated, he's a sharpshooter, basically. He's yeah. the guy that can shoot anybody at any distance with a pistol and do... He's, he's the one guy that throughout the book is telling people not to just spray bullets into something. Yeah. He's like, yeah. take, take a breath, take one shot. You know, mm. and he, he's the one who tries to avoid additional damage or collateral damage yeah. or, you know, whatever. Like he understands that there is a task that he has to do and he's going to try and do it in the best way possible without without causing the most damage mm-hmm. or causing with, with causing the least amount of damage. He's a killer with a heart. I don't know about a heart. He's just if you got to kill someone, you don't need to do, you know, the yeah. 17 people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think Jack Daw to a certain extent has a bit of redemption as well. Because he lets the tiger out on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> that was his moment. Hooray! Yeah. This magic moment. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. You know, uh, and maybe and maybe that's the one thing is because I thought this was kind of like the creation of a supergroup, right? Getting all these guys that are sleepers activated and they're all going to come together and they all have their own special skill sets. And they're all going to come together for this one purpose. And that never happens. Yeah, it does. You know, it does. The trust is destroyed. Well, the, yeah, the trust is destroyed, but they they never really come together as as a group. Yeah, because they, they're they, always because fighting amongst each other. There's always infighting. Yeah. And yeah, there's always you know? people betraying and rebetraying and re 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 betraying. And yeah, and that that's one of the things that I thought was different, and it, and I didn't expect it because when you see like the Justice League or or X Men these are bad X-Men or whatever. They always come together and they always help each yeah, other the, out. There's distinct teams. good and bad in those stories. Yes. This yes. is, this is a, a matter of shades of gray. Oh yeah, it well, is. It's, it is it's definitely. A, it's noir. There is no good, but they never, what the world does. Yeah. But they never come together as like an ensemble. Okay. I mean, there are, there's, there are times where the group is like one or two characters together and they're having a little dialogue beat amongst each other but they never come together as a full group well i don't think they were ever designed to come together as a full group other than to murder things yeah, yeah. but that's what you you kind of think of before is like they're they're minute men and they're they're like one group that's going to enforce because it's sort of an assembling plot you expect something to happen when the whole troop is assembled and exactly. to an extent it does yeah i mean like and also the troop is for, for blah, blah, blah. to a certain extent the troop is loyal to itself like when cole kills the french girl who's fucking jackdaw because she killed um, oh fuck! The, the little guy, short, the little short fuck from Paris. Yeah, that I can never remember his name. Branch, Branch, yeah. whose yeah. whose entire storyline, in my stumped? opinion, I actually kind of I know. <laughs> okay, I kind of liked Branch. I didn't, but I, didn't I, I dislike, agree that his storyline was. I did not dislike. I did not dislike him as a character. I liked him as a character. I thought his entire presence in the book was superfluous, in my opinion. We like, can talk about that email. The whole what? The email that we got. What? I don't remember. Question. What are you about? The question that we oh, received yeah, over email. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. The before, email that we got for that, the show. There we go. I, I think the best example of this is like the Avengers movie, right? The whole time Fury is looking for the one element to bring these, these, all these, these identities together as one group. And th- that never really happens in this. You know? And as soon as you're coming to the epic climax, everybody goes their different ways. Like Loop's like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. And he just walks away. But he he does it after killing most of the trust. Like his job is like those three guys, their job is done. They were supposed to take out the outer perimeter. Mm. They did it. And, and like, then he's like, why the fuck did I just do this? Yeah. 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 And then Lono is there to go against. He's against everybody. Lono else. sides with the trust. Yeah, exactly. Where you think that, oh, hey, we're a group. And there's the one betrayer. Lono sides with the trust, and then Lono's the character that's like he's always only he's, working for himself. He's always only working for himself, and he's he just picks what he whoever he finds to be the winning side at that moment yep. is who he plays for. Yeah, um, I got a very so they're more out for themselves, and then as for the group yeah. themselves. We got a question over email. Uh, it's from Benjamin Bailey. Sends us a question nice. on our email address, and he says. First off, he says, one of the best series ever. That said, there are times when certain issues or subplots feel like filler. Are there any particular that you guys feel could have been left out or cut? I'll be honest. I didn't understand the whole painting subplot. 
I didn't like, either. It's a thing, and I was reading about it in the wiki, and it still didn't make sense. I I felt the painting like the painting at the end when they finally um when it finally gets burned or whatever um they kind of slough it off and they're just like oh it's meaningless it's a symbol of such and such and i feel i almost feel like that's what i almost it didn't feel like they were resolving a storyline it felt like something that they were setting up in earlier issues and then had no idea how to how to resolve the whole the whole character of the books like it could it could have been like a total um semiotics metaphor like the Mm -hmm. purloined letter for those of you who had a literary theory class like it could have done that (laughs) but it didn't (laughs) and it was just sort of like was i supposed to get that is the point of this that i'm not getting it (sighs) yeah well that's how i feel about the krotoa you know because i liked krotoa Krotoa. but i thought that they were going to explain okay krotoa that there's a reason why they put this down like this word and really it's just some nonsense word that they Made up? No, it's not. It's the it's historical. What's what's Croatoa? It's Roanoke Colony disappeared, and then the word Croatoa was the only thing left. Sure, yeah. but they never. But what is what is Croatoa? No one knows exactly. Right? Yeah, they never they never explain why. So Cro the word Croatoa appears in the painting, which the painting is supposedly prior to the Roanoke thing. This was like a trust painting it, that yeah. exists from when the trust was originally formed, mm. and that's. When they, I got the impression that the use of the word Croatoa in Roanoke Colony was as a message to anybody who decided they wanted to not be part of the trust anymore. Mm. Because it was like, it was, since it was in this, this painting that is supposedly there, was, I don't know what the fuck the painting is all about. However, it's important to the trust in some way. And because that word exists in the painting, that's what they used as the message. They're like, see, this is what happens when you fuck over the trust. Right. Um, I'd still, but the, but you're right. The painting, the painting subplot was, it could have been completely axed and I would never have known the difference and it wouldn't have made any, it wouldn't have mattered. So I just realized something uh, to go to a tangent again. It's Vic and his dad that tell Loop that Loop's dad would be proud of him. It okay. wasn't his brother. It was his dad. So there's uh, a tie-in between fathers and sons and people being, ex- you know, certain expectations of their kids and what their kids expect from their parents. And the cycles of crime. In the cycles of crime. Yeah. Um, and he broke it. And he broke it. And that's yeah. the difference between Vic and Loop. Okay. Um, the the for me the one thing that could have been left out was was what's the character we were just talking about the short fat guy stump branch stump. branch uh, branch uh, entirely super super superfluous to me I I just don't feel like he there was anything important about his part in the book he filler because filler um he was what was he was a reporter right he was a reporter who'd been investigating he was a delivery device for explaining some of the more subtle parts of the trust and how Mm. the trust worked yeah yeah so he was and also revealing some of dizzy's programming so he was just a MacGuffin. yeah and which is important in a noir story yeah to some degree sure but i don't think he was important to this one i think they could have found better ways to explain some of the shit that he's there to explain i don't even need to know so it's like it's not important to the storyline and his his path through it was just it every time something focused on him except for the first time he shows up where I, you know the first time he shows up you're like hmm, I wonder who this guy is and I wonder what he's doing you kind of expect him to be developed in a way he's not yeah and then as the story goes on every time he shows up I just want to skip past it to get to something that I actually <laughs> want to read 
I just don't. I don't know. His his whole through line was just worthless, um, yeah. and I just didn't enjoy that. Yeah, and, and there and like the email says, there were some kind of um, storylines or plot lines that were tacked on. Yeah, but I think there are kind of more to flesh out the the what not flesh the, out the world, flesh out the world, and the and. Because a lot of a lot of the stuff that had to do with that drug dealer, the yeah. the drug dealer in the park, like the, his whole like oh, side storyline, Spain. Um, there was a that was a lot of fucking filler for f- his part in the book, um, and I, I kind of understand where it led, but the entire Spain storyline could have been a single issue. Uh, front to back and and accomplish the same goal. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, sir. No, 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 no. Okay. Right. Also, uh, Joel, didn't you say? I'm sorry if I missed. No, I stepped away for a second. Uh, didn't you say that the whole um, New Orleans storyline could have been cut earlier? Well, yeah, I, it, it could have been cut because uh, all it was was to really kind of flesh out the character of. I can't remember who. I think it was Cole. Cole. Yeah, it was Cole. Um, that that actually that story got me the most because this was kind of like an innocent player. This guy is. Is this trumpet player who's not the bad oh, luck? Yeah. Who's not the the best? He's, he's not the best looking guy. Um, he had a horrible life, and just because this uh, Cole came into his life, he loses his art, his job, and his job and his life eventually. I said his jaw, not his job. <laughs> yeah. Well, jaw, and even if he had lived, his job kind of need a lower jaw to play. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think to a certain extent that shows that Cole still has some humanity left, even yeah. though as much as he plays it off, and that was the purpose of the hard way. Um, hmm. I, I think and that... The, it, the, the feeling of like, hey, here's a character... Sorry, Andy. Here's a character that's like a human being that doesn't rely on violence and rape to function. Yeah. Um, I was interested in it because of that, and then unsurprised that he like died horribly. Yeah, and, and that was... A w- that's how the whole series felt to me. That's the, um, Okay, that, I, now I understand that, because that was the one thing that kind of like left a really bad... F- it made me honestly feel sad, because all that's these characters the in here... of the story. I understand I feel this. Like, and I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like my takeaway from this when I finished reading it was that the point of the entire arc of the storyline was that there was, um, what's the point? The point that, is to reaffirm yourself or reaffirm, reaffirm your faith in yourself that you're a good person. You're not a horrible person. Sure. That's not what I'm saying. The, the trust formed as this huge, powerful, uh, organization. And yet, um, everyone's life who they touch gets destroyed in some way and including the people within the trust. So Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that the point of the story is the question, what the fuck's the point? Like why bother going through all this effort for what are you doing it for? Right? Like it's just power for the sake of power and everybody's life gets ruined by it. Power for the sake of power is the only reason people get power in the first place. Yeah. Sure. I mean, flat out. And people, they people with money, yeah. People with money want more money. People with power want more power. I, I, yeah, that's how it works. And Grace was. A, I'm not asking the question. What's the point? Uh-huh. I need you guys to understand. I am not asking this question. I'm saying that that was the thrust of the storyline was to be gotcha. like, what's the point of Look, what you're doing? You're in my home, <laughs> and when you ask me a question, goddamn it, I'm going to answer. I'm give you an answer. Um, yeah, and so that that was the one part that that really got me. I mean, it it didn't really need to be in there because 
from that one story with Cole, he didn't really change. He was still the the same person after that. It oh, was yeah. just and he dies it was just a nice story. His, yeah. Cole, I think spoilers Cole, by the way, if anyone cares, I don't know. I, I think, I, it, this is fucking yeah. Shakespeare film at the end. Every fucking buddy dies. Yeah. And I there's think, one poor bastard that's walking out going <laughs> No, there there are people who live. I think part of Cole's storyline and part of the part of the point of that, even though I agree with you, it doesn't need to be in there. I think part of the reason why they went through that was Cole was the character that felt like he was um, just so hopelessly buried in his role as a Minuteman yeah. that no matter what he did, he was going to be stuck. So he's just like, fuck it, I might as well just keep doing it. Yeah, That's kind of the thing I got from him. He's like, he has that moment of humanity, but in that moment of... He, it sucks for him that he tries to be good with the trumpet player guy. The trumpet player guy gets killed and his Cole kills and him. gets. That's where I was trying to go is that. Okay. The trumpet player guy gets horribly injured, loses the one thing that made his life worth living. And Cole's storyline was that the only quote unquote good thing that came out of the whole situation was that he had to kill someone because to, to kill someone to save them the misery of the life they would have led after Cole's influence yeah. destroyed it. But right? the thing is, yeah. I was and so, right. so Thank he's just like, stuff. he's just like, this is where my life is to the point where I can't have it. I can't have an effect on someone's life. The best thing that I can do for someone is to gack them. Yeah. And, and so now he's he's just that like well, well fuck it you know what I'm, I'm always going to be a blight so I might as well just do it the best I can <laughs> like, away um, yeah. so I think that um, one of the things about the story is that the people who remain true to themselves whatever their nature is they make it out with the exception of Diz but Diz's path and Jack Daw doesn't he get eaten by alligators he gets ge- uh, you don't know okay. you assume but you don't know Lono gets shot pretty much in the heart and he makes it out. Yeah. yeah. But the, the people I who are I was in a comic shop and I saw that there was a Lono spinoff and I was like, God damn it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was about two thirds. It, it is a sequel, by the way. Fuck. Yeah. Um, oh, but really? so, if, okay. So um, hmm. if you look at the characters who are alive at the end of the book, those are the only people who are true to themselves. And this is up until the panel, you know, where Diz has the gun at Graves' head in the burning building. Mm-hmm. The people who live are Loop, Lono, um, Vic, Vic, Vic's dad, Graves, Diz. In theory, Graves and Diz are both going to die in the next panel. But well, in theory, but you don't know. That's yeah. the thing. Mm. I mean, Lono got shot in the heart or round about that area. He'd also had most of his teeth punched out, and this, and he gets a spinoff. Yeah. You know what? Jack Daw could Why? be back. You don't know that he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So now, how was how was Graves not true to himself? Uh, he betrayed the trust, which was his primary okay. purpose. Yeah. Even though the act of betraying the trust was True. following his code of protecting the trust from itself, the problem that happened was that he wanted the power of the trust, I think. True. Because he felt that the trust was not um, worthy of its own power anymore. Yeah. Uh, fucking so, depressing book. God damn yeah, it. Yeah, so, so can, I, can I bring up one reason why I like this book? 
So um, Loop lives? What, no. <laughs> the black true. guy lives, dude. The black guy lives <laughs> for once. Um, no, okay. So how I came across this book was when I first met Andy at work. He's like, hey, you like comic books? So I was like, yeah, I like comic books. I read X-Men and Transformers and G.I. Joe back in my younger years. And I was like, oh, hey, here's something, here's something different. See if you like it. And, and I started reading. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, it starts off with a gangbanger is like one of the characters and all about redemption. And through my years since comic books, I've grown up and I've really liked kind of stop noir stories and I've stopped gang gang banging. Did you say gang ganging? Gang ganging. I saw um, a movie with that once. And so when I read this is like this is comp- something completely different. And one of the things that Azrello does is that he's able to kind of shift the the voice of the story from you know whenever he wants to so it starts off with a gangbanger and there's graves who's you know from the straight world and then there's a scene where they go into prison prison the language the the prison language is completely it didn't come off as fake he does a really really good job of of portraying the environments the different environments and the different cultures the vernacular of the Um, environments yeah Yeah. exactly and the lexicon as it were thank you and and that's one of the things that I thought was really refreshing because a lot of times when people try to do prison stuff, it comes off as forced, fake. F- f- forced and fake. Be like they don't really know what they're doing. What What does yellow mean? No, just like note the gap. Oh, that's the part where they're in prison and there are no women <laughs> <laughs> in the gap in my little tags and inner tabs and whatnot. But, the, but that's the one thing that I really I was like, OK, this is something completely different. It's no melodrama from X-Men and there's no marketing push from Transformers or G.I. Joe or whatnot. And um, it's something that was completely different. It deals with hair, a drug dealer, you know, or somebody, a drug yeah. user who's in the throes of. Withdrawal. his withdrawal or addiction or dealing with that kind of stuff. And that's something I've never seen before in comic books. And I didn't know that comic books were able to do this. And it kind of opened a, <laughs> a dark door that I didn't know was a, available. Yes. yes Postcode comics. Yeah. And so then uh, after 100 Bullets, I'm like, well, hi, why don't you read this book? It's called Criminal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Joel just spoke about you know how good the the language or the vernacular is in the book. One thing that really pisses me off. This is actually the thing that pisses me off the most about the entire series, is that there's so much symbolism. Like even the trade paperbacks themselves have like super symbolism, but yeah. because Hang Up on the Hang Low won at Eisner, they changed the, the title of the third volume from The Charm to Hang Up on the Hang Low, which infuriates me. When 12 of your 13 volumes tie directly into the number of the volume, and then one just has nothing to do with it. Yeah. What was Charm about? Third time is okay. Charm. It's ah. the third volume shouldn't be called Hang Up on the Hang Low. It's supposed to be called The Charm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, in order to get that award, those accolades. But um, they'd already won the accolades. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> and so as, as, I'm reading, as I'm reading through these books and getting deeper and deeper, and they leave the whole 100 bullets trope behind, and start going off on these side stories and whatnot. I was okay with it because I just wanted to read something different. And mm-hmm. this was definitely bringing something different. And like Anne said, yes, there's a, a lot of hypersexualized women and violence against women and whatnot. And, and like ugly black characters who the, their only 
benefit to society or it's something that they're submitting to a society as trumpet playing. Um, well, I, well, are I'm you okay saying that it. black people contribute music to no. white people? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> That's the only thing that this, you know. It's Andy's racist corner. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. It, Everyone's a little bit racist. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the only redeemable factor of that, that trumpet player was that he was a good trumpet player. You know, and the sweetest trumpet player in the world, but he couldn't make it in the world because he was ugly as sin. You know, um, which I is am so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and um, I I just really enjoyed going through the whole story. And there's some characters that I've never before where I'm reading them and I really don't like them. And like the one guy that I was rooting for to die. Lono lives through the entire thing. Yep. I mean, I give Azarello credit that like I didn't feel neutrally about Lono. I hated him with a fiery passion and I wanted him to die so bad and I was so d- deeply disappointed that he didn't. And, you know, craft-wise, writing-wise, he's doing some stuff right. So, mm. I don't think I was like I expected most of them to die. I was super relieved when Loop walks away from everything, which I think is I was too. Like yeah. I th- cuz I think I think he did a successful job of of taking Loop's arc from uh, from the very beginning where he's like, I'm going to go kill my dad to um, that part where he's like, uh, maybe maybe I'll get into the family business now, right? Like, we, even though his dad is, like, the whole beginning of the arc is, is where he's like, his dad is like, you don't, you are not supposed to be here. And that's why his dad leaves in the first place. Like, you kind of get that feeling that his dad left because he was, hopelessly buried in the in the criminal life and didn't want his son to follow that path right and then his son finds him and and he you know kind of falls down that rabbit hole and so you get this whole storyline this awesome storyline with loop where he's like he's like i'm good at this but it sucks yeah and then he goes to that uh, he kind of gets just dropped in a hole and has to crawl his way back out by figuring out now I've had the experience. I know that I'm good at this, but what the fuck's the point? Yeah, like and the, and the like mirror. his his redemption at the end is is literally the only character in this book that I actually really just like f- wanted to see break out of what was happening to him. You know, the rest yeah. of them, I'm like fucking kill him. I don't give a shit. I don't mm-hmm. even. I didn't give a shit about. I didn't give a shit about Diz. Uh, I, I liked her. I liked her, but, but I, I couldn't her. see her breaking the pattern. Exactly, Vic. I like Vic. Uh, I, I think I said that earlier in the, the podcast, probably. But, but Loop, Loop is they. He was very, and that's a testament to Azarello's writing that he was very successful. That in the mire that is the the plot arc of this book as a whole, and what's going on with with all of the Minutemen and the trust, that he can take a character like Loop and show some real growth, like growth and agency of that character throughout the book um in spite of like he's dumping a character that's already in a bad situation putting him in a worse situation and then and then surrounding him with the worst human beings on the face of the planet and he makes the he makes the choice to walk away and that's that's the best arc in this in the whole book Vic's dad uh, what, don't just, we meet just, Vic and his dad in like the very last of these five chunks? No, so um, Vic has been around since book two, I think. Okay. Um, uh, I think he Vic, blended. Vic's brother is the one who loses his hands. 
Yeah, I okay. remember that, but that was at the but, end. Um, so Vic's dad... Vic is the one that gets... He gets an attache early on yeah. because... And it's got his brother in it. Yep. Because his okay. brother's the one that's fucking over the crime boss by making deals with the, yep. the meat guys, yep. right? And so Vic gets the attache at the beginning and is told to kill his brother and doesn't. Right. Yeah. Because right. Vic, uh, Vic is another one of the quote-unquote good guys. But uh, his dad, you know, was a Minuteman and also has that particular skill set. But he has started a new family, and he's got a young daughter. There's the the whole discussion about ice cream, if you guys remember that at all. No, like he's he, he has a young Asian wife and yeah. two young kids. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and you know he gets offered a ridiculous amount of money, so he mm-hmm. doesn't have to work again. And he's there with his kid and Loop, and he's like, you know what? It's it's not worth it, and he, they leave. Yeah, it was the classic um, the classic. One last job storyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's hard for me to say whether I like this book or not. I kind of want to, it's, it's one of the first times that I've ever thought about a book that I want to reread and take more time rereading yeah. it than I did the first time because I read it super fast. And, well, I shouldn't say fast. I read it at my normal speed, but I read so much of it. Oh, you know, like the first day that I sat down and read, I I burned through the first three volumes, so that's wow. 60, 60 issues, issues yeah. in a single day. Um, and I feel like there's I feel like there's a lot that I missed, and I, I, I'm glad Anne that you came in with your with your tabs and everything because of the fact that I kind of felt the same way. Where it's really insidious. It's it's, it's really kind of. It's it's this, this kind of grody like feeling you get from reading it, which I don't necessarily mind with a lot of stories. I've read some like brutally gruesome stories and stuff, but um, but you you know I didn't I've I've been sitting here literally the entire time through this show trying to think. I'm th- just thinking of all the female characters in the book and thinking of like, does any of them not? Um, it, is there any point where uh, there's a female character that's not over 60 that doesn't either get naked or um, have some sort of sexual violence visited upon them? And I'm like... I think there's one. There's two. Oh. Um, in the New Orleans storyline? Okay. Uh, she's pretty sexualized. She's, but there's no violence. True. Uh, and she does not get naked either. And then... Um, because we have to be fully naked before it counts as sexualized. Oh. Anyway, uh, at the very end, there's one one of the trust that we actually see for a little bit um, who is not particularly sexualized at all. And I can't remember if something violent happens to her. Oh, or not. she dies. Oh. Everyone from the trust dies. Okay, well, she so gets, it's not yeah, it's not, it's sexualized not like violence. personal. So the the, the, the straight up okay. So the the just normal. I hate using the word normal violence, but the word the just the normal violence. violence? People people dying in the book. Yeah. That is not. There is nothing gender specific about that Absolutely at all. No. It's no, just like people are people are. <laughs> are you in on bullets? Yes. Your mo- <laughs> is your name Loop? No. You're, you're going to die. die. Yeah. <laughs> it's a flowchart. <laughs> um, but what's odd about it, and maybe this is just because I'm so inured by it over the years that it didn't. I mean, it didn't bother me as much as it obviously bothered you, um, yeah. because it. F- in I would say halfish, a little more than halfish of the cases, it it felt. Oh, what's the? It felt like it fit. It it 
it's not it's not great, but like it it didn't. I think Altarello. It didn't feel in most cases. It didn't feel horrendously gratuitous. Um, it actually, I should put it this way: it felt like it was. It didn't feel like it was written gratuitously. However, when Riso <laughs> portrays it, like the artwork, the way the artwork portrays it. Adds that extra little level of yeah. I couldn't decide who who was being more actively skeezy, or if like it was just one part Rizzo, one part Azarilla, one part their editor, and one part culture, like making this collective stew of skis. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't sure. Also, Eduardo Rizzo and I need to have a conversation about what nipples do <laughs> <laughs> and what women's undergarments do. Um, what Dizzy's wearing denim with no bra. That shit chafes. <laughs> also like so many of the fabrics are like everything is somehow really tight spandex and the rooms are always cold <laughs> like, there are so many nipples my god huh yeah i didn't know that happened a lot of a lot of big boobs uh, uh so one thing that i want to sort of a, as a counter argument to your uh your sexualized violence against women uh worst things happen to men in these books absolutely but they're not sexualized they're and not, it, well, it's I mean, because the the not bad things that are happening to women the women are always sexualized i, I think I that know, might Lono be is running around with shirtless Dude, well really but he's a sexual <laughs> predator and that's the thing the messaging for men in the books is if you're going to be successful you need to be aggressive violent and a sexual predator you need to be a rapist basically i don't know if i count that i don't i don't, I don't, I don't I w- that not for every character and that's why we like loop so much as he's like an odyssean hero in a land but of the, uh, the other thing too mm. though is you say that the message is to be successful you need to be that way but i wouldn't count any of those characters as having a successful that's true. arc that's true that's the thing like they they but what's your alternative <clears throat> get your jaw shot off and die kind yeah. of yeah yeah. The, and, but that's if you aren't like that, yeah, you'll just end that's up dead. the world. Graves, yeah. Graves gets what he wants in the end. Shot in the head. Please. Sure, the trust is dead. Protege. I feel. I feel yeah. like the. I feel like the. Um, the message in here is especially for the for the male characters is um, there's no there is no possible positive outcome for have it, for living a life like yeah. this. You yeah. know, it's like, and that and that's even you get characters that are redeemed like Loop. Um, you still he still walks away with you still walk away with a feeling of he's still going to get fucked somehow right yeah. like yeah. he he manages to escape this situation but but because of the way that uh Azarello built this world and this I should say the world within a world, right? The yeah. way he built the the world of the trust and the way that it works, you really get a feeling that somebody's going to fucking catch up with Loop yeah. later. I don't Nobody think so. Out. I think no. To follow me through this, right? So I think that the whole point of Vic's dad having left is sort of a it gives you an idea that okay. if you leave the world of the trust, you know, if you just if you like fucking him out, you get left alone. As like he's proof that somebody yeah he did is this proof that he he just die. he walked away from it and they were like okay yeah maybe mm. yeah but maybe. and then you have the but then you have the opposite end of that spectrum which is which is the fuck's his name again the Jackdaw the reporter guy the fat dude Stump. Branch. Branch Jesus why can I not remember that I cannot remember that and then you have the the story of Branch who like got sucked in then walked away. And then got fucked anyway. But it was not by a member of the trust. Killed someone on this bench. He got killed by the French chick. Who was just another criminal. Fair. Which is why um, Cole shoots her in the head. Well, that's the other thing about the the French chick is that that is all... The introduction of her as a character is almost like this... um, Femme fatale? 
No, no, no. It's 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 almost an introduction to to another whole aspect of the criminal world that the trust lives in that you never really see except for her as a connection to it. I think she's she re- is hired by someone to try and fuck over the trust and you never find out who. I think it's the, no, I think that calls back to the the group that the trust made a deal with when they left. Sure. And that's the the other people. Yeah. The old the, world the, vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I it's it's interesting team because Edward. I because like hired by Team Edward. This is one of the, without a doubt, one of the most like gritty kind of skeezy noir stories I've read, mm. uh, and that is not that is not by in any means an. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I in fact, the more we sit here and talk about it, the more I realize that I think I like the story. I just don't fucking get it yet. I, I, I'm going to have to reread it. I, I think part of that comes from the fact that you read it in such rapid succession. Probably. And there, there's probably, I think... Um, there's an aspect of my nausea that came from reading it yeah. all within about two weeks. I, I mean, this is, you know, you're literally... It's a hundred issues that you, you know, read in rapid succession and you didn't get to digest any of that. It's like, you know, you sit it's down a for a Thanksgiving s- dinner. It's a real sensory overload mm. uh, reading it fast because there's... So much going on now. I do. I do sincerely feel that it's a that it is very bloated. Um, that a hundred issues was too much to tell this story, which is why you end up with filler issues like what Ben Bailey, who emailed us earlier, was talking about. That there is parts of the storyline that you just feel like they're just wasting time because they know that at some point probably 20 issues in or maybe even when they were just developing this from the before it even started they're like we're going to call it 100 bullets it's going to be 100 issues and then somewhere in the middle they were like god i don't know if we can fill 100 issues so it ends up being really bloated and i feel like if this storyline were like in the 60 issue range more like preacher or something like that that it would have been um it would have been much much tighter and a lot of the fluff would have gotten caught out and the the characters that maybe Azarello and Riso really loved but were not re- didn't really need to be there probably would have gotten axed or would have gotten a much shorter uh, like single issue instead of being drawn out over an entire storyline mm. and I just feel like that it, it's a good story I think it's, it feels real real bloated um, to me I think something that would have been interesting and this is just me I don't know, rambling, is if they could have condensed it one single issue, so the end of issue 99 is Dizzy with the gun Ew. to Graves' his head, and then that's it. I kind of like that. Hmm. You are the hundredth bullet. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's that's kind of a metaphor for how I felt reading the series, was I'm like, I am one of Graves' dupes. I've been handed this case, and it's my choice to keep reading this yeah. and I will become more and more of an asshole as I read this <laughs> yeah. and it, nothing good will come. Associating with us would be a similar metaphor, by the way. And <laughs> I remember when we first met you and you were happy and filled with joy and now you're married and you hate everything. I don't hate everything. I hate really specific things. No, really. Uh, well, you know what? I think we, I think we should go into Buy, Borrow, Burn uh, because... I don't know if we can exhaust any more conversation about yeah. this unless we start getting into granular details, and I, um, I'm not sure that that's where we really need to go no. with this. No. Um, one, one more thing that I can just, just okay. as a top, is uh, this is the reason why, like, Azrello, so 
because he was able to s- s- change gears so quickly, that's why I liked Spaceman a lot. Yeah, because I really that one. That was one where he can completely just made up his own vernacular. Yeah. and was able to run with it. And he's he's a he's a good writer. I really enjoyed and Spaceman the, a lot. The Batman really. comic, by the way, from Sunday Comics, is brilliant that they did. They also did. I, I know I've talked about this before, but they did the. Uh, it was about a, I think it was a twelve issue run immediately following Hush, uh, yeah. that was absolutely fantastic. It was very like Hush was this huge epic world changing storyline, and the storyline that they did immediately after that was very like small kind of personal noir story that was really fantastic. Um, I. My personal opinion on Hundred Bullets is I've got to give it a borrow because I own it and it's fine and I'm going to reread it um, and maybe you should buy it because you ha- you're going to have to read it at least twice to get it. But it's just because it's so bloated and convoluted, um, it f- it doesn't feel like something that just anybody would like. Uh, even people who are into noir, it doesn't feel like something that you could just hand to somebody. You'd say, "Oh, you like noir? You'll like Hundred Bullets." Because I don't think that's the case. So I'm I'm a solid borrow on it. And unsurprisingly, I'm a burn. I recognize that there's a lot of very good craft things that go into these books, but like I say, like nothing I read should make me want to rage vomit on people in in the way that that this one yeah man like (laughs) gotcha i was walking around just like pissed off pissed off and you still finished the whole thing though i did because i felt like i couldn't like maybe the ending would knock me out of the park like i I felt like i couldn't truly condemn it until i had like condemned it in the in in granular detail you know what i haven't said this before but it leads into what it it leads into why i went to a borrow but but what you just said triggered in my mind i think that's one of my problems with this book as a whole was that there is so much going on that you really have to have a a fucking home run ending that this book doesn't have oh yeah i thought it was okay like i i was not wholly dissatisfied by the ending i was just i just felt so icky um and i have a fairly high ick tolerance that i i I can't do it i gotta burn uh i will buy i will buy it i i would buy it if i if i could i i but it's a there's a little bit of nostalgia like i said this was the first noir when i got back into it and it it totally shattered my conventions of what comic books could do and i agree with that and and i'm not a big i was upset with the ending too because I didn't think it was going to end that way but also I'm okay with Brian K. Vaughn and the endings too so so you have no taste is what you're saying you have zero zero taste in comics I'm a smoker I can't taste all right anyway so So, uh I'll I'll close this out with a buy like I said I've lent this to uh, obviously Joel to get him back into comic books and I've lent this to other people I think one of the key uh, differences between Joel and my experience and Anne and Luke's experience is that Joel and I read this in my case over nine years and Joel's experience over three years roughly 
because uh, it wasn't finished when I first started lending it to you. Yeah, it was around eleven when I when yeah. I so I came so while we late. had it, you know, over a course of time, you guys basically force fed yourself the entire hundred issues in rapid succession, which I can see yeah. being problematic for people. Um, it's not something that you want to just tear through. You want to read a chunk and then sort of digest it, and then maybe reread it or go on to the next one, but. I, I'm very curious, and later on, if you guys do reread it, I'd, I'd sort of like to hear your opinions on if more stuff made sense to you or if it clicked, for lack of a better term. I like, I understand that, and for your, you know, the, the sexualized violence and whatnot, that's something that's just flat out not going to be your cup of tea. Yep. Something that I would actually like to hear after doing this episode is if there are any female listeners out there who have read this book or are planning on reading this book, I would really like to hear if there's similar opinions to, to yours, Anne, because yeah. I've, I've actually never spoken to another woman who has read this book, so all of my... All of my um, uh, all of the opinions that I've heard of people who love it are all guys. Yeah. And... And f- as horrible as this is, uh, the sexualized stuff in comic books and sexual violence doesn't doesn't. There's not as strong a trigger for most guys as there is for girls, for obvious reasons. Um, that's not that's not saying that it's okay. It's just saying that it's just when when it most guys sense. read it, it's just yeah. it's just yeah, it's there. And the people that look like you are not the people that are constantly being right. raped and having the various cleavage showing. Yes, yeah. they're just getting their hands chopped off or losing. Yeah, their it's all it's, physical violence. It's right. not sexualized. It's all physical violence that there is no possible way to come back from. Yeah, which. To an extent, uh, correlates to rape. Yeah, I, th- I think that's. I think actually that's to a certain extent. Um, Azarello's um, not necessarily a metaphor, but that was the best way that he could put men in the same position as he did the females. And if you look at what happens to, um, oh my god, uh, the brother who loses his hands, he kills himself. Yeah. The the guy who loses his jaw gets killed because that's what he wants out. The girl who gets raped. Uh, Which one? Uh, <laughs> the one who, <laughs> the one who gets raped by Lono. Lono, yeah. She becomes a uh, she, you know, deals with it and realizes that she's a better person than him. So I think it says something about the strength of the women characters. Uh, I I think it's a I think it's a noir trap. (laughs) Noir likes to try to be feminist, but it ain't. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually an opinion that I would love to. What What are we talking about here? I mean, there's just so much random gratuitous stuff that's just kind of everywhere, and it's not like by having hands. Is that the one with the girlfriend that comes out of the bathroom and is just like, oh? She's topless. I'm just and beer while I'm in my underwear. Yeah. Um, and it's not like by having hands, you're asking for them culturally to get cut off. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and it, again, I don't think it's Azarella's fault. I don't think it's my fault for reading it. I don't think it's Reza's fault for drawing it. I think it's sort of like the gross reflection of rape culture, which is a whole separate bag of worms Indeed. that we don't need to stick our heads in right now. And if you but take a step back from it, it is a little... Dude, broish. <laughs> sure, yeah, well. a little, just a little. You it's know? like saying Axe body spray. Look at my bit tabs, dude, broish. Look at my tabs. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to. I would, if there are any female listeners out there who who've read this book or read this book, I would really love to hear what their feedback is on on those aspects of it because because it's it's interesting. I like it's it's widely lauded as one of the best books out there and I can see why. Like you said, craft wise there's it's one there's of the a lot epics. of good stuff. But it is very it is. It's, epic. it's it's very dark um mm. and in ways that aren't maybe necessarily okay, but um nope. so we've got two solid buys, a borrow and a burn. And yep. that's yep. buys win it yeah. Yeah. And Andy, right, I suggest so. you don't lend your books to Anne. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Alright, if you've uh, if you've stuck around this long, thank you for hanging out with us for, for this uh, seventeen very, hours. Very long episode. Uh Upcoming, we've um, the first thing that I want to talk about before we go into what we're going to be reading is that Emerald City Comic Con happens in a month and a half. So it is, is that the third mo- anniversary of the show. Two months. Uh, it'll be the third anniversary of the show. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it's it's at the end of March. It's March 29th and thirtieth uh, through twenty eighth through thirtieth. Um, we will be there. We will have a table at Emerald City Comic Con. So if you want to come say hi to the crew, then come drop in and and say hi and. Hooray! Uh, we're going to, as usual, we're going to try and get a few interviews with uh, some comic book creators for the show, and we will be, uh, we will be looking into um, reviewing Sheltered for that, for that uh, episode during the, during the Comic-Con. Uh, so the next five episodes of the show are going, the next episode's going to be Buzzkill, episode 61. That's one that Andy picked. Then we're going to do the Marvel Now, the first run of the Marvel Now Captain America uh, with Remender and James, John Romita Jr. And then after that, Anne's pick of BPRD Vampire. Hey. Which I'd never even heard of until you brought it up. Didn't I, even know what it was. It's something that came through on Dark Horse. And I was like, you know what? That looks interesting. So this is one of my, I haven't read it yet, picks. It could be great. It could be terrible. Cool. That's the best way to do it. Again, we're going to do Shelter during Emerald City. And hopefully we can get um, Ed Brisson and Johnny Christmas to come on the show and, and talk about the book with us. Uh, maybe not do reviews of the book, but they can talk about the book. We can do some... Uh, talk about the movie uh, deal that they're they're working on right now, and yeah. and then do our review of Sheltered, and then uh, for episode sixty five, we're going to do Nowhere Men, which is a Jonathan Hickman, one of Jonathan Hickman's books, right? It's not. It's not. No, it's, book? it's not. It's not Hickman. Okay. Um, let me just find it real quick. But this was our long read of a hundred bullets. Uh, we will determine what our next long read is for episode seventy when we get closer to that episode. Uh, but so like I said the next five episodes Buzzkill Captain America Be Party Vampire Sheltered Nowhere Men uh, come say hi to us at Emerald City Comic Con we will probably be doing at least two shows maybe three from Emerald City because uh, we're going to have the recording kit at the table and usually we just sit down and bullshit about stuff so I will uh, have my flask with me <laughs> I might not be sober. Uh, Emerald City is one of the best Comic Cons in the world, so if you're in the, the Seattle best. area, come to come come hang out and do it. Uh, we'll be in Art- Artist's Alley. If you would like to be a part of the show, like Benjamin Bailey did for this episode, <laughs> thank you, Ben, for sending us an email that we can discuss on the show. Good uh, question. You can, you can do what Ben did and send us an email at tradesecretsatgeekerific.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at TradesecretsPod, or you can hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tradesecretspodcast. We are all also individual on Twitter, Anne is at Ann Bean Tweets. Uh, Andy is at Mathtastrophe. Joel is at Superfly. I am at Geek Elite. And we uh, we tend to all bullshit about comics and stuff. If you want to ask us questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Um, I we, respond more than I post, actually. Yeah, I, I me too lately. And I am back on Facebook and, and Twitter, by the way. As of today. Yeah, as of today. And if you um, want to follow all of the obscure superhero tweets I'm doing for Minor Arcana Press, which is coming out with a fantastic book of superhero fo- poetry, you can follow them at, at Minor Arcana PRS. There you go. Um, when this show airs, the Super Bowl will have been yesterday. So either because we are in Seattle, yeah, Go or Hawks. son of a bitch, fucking Broncos. So Suckers, I'm from Denver. I went either way. <laughs> uh, either way, I will be recovering from a massive hangover. Yeah. So whichever one of those applies to uh, to what happens at the Super Bowl, we'll just go with that. So. Gus Worst of all. 
Uh, one more thing. Uh, Nowhere Men is Image Comic by Eric Stever- Eric Stevenson, Stevenson yes. and Nate Belgrade. Belgard. Okay. Belgard. Belgard? Right. Belgard. So, Nowhere Men will be in five episodes. Thank you, Andy, for having us for, your, for the show this morning. Uh, Thank you, Joel, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you, Anne. Appreciate you coming out. You're welcome. Uh, I am Luke. This has been episode 60 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we are out.